Um, so we're in the book of James. So let's go James chapter 3, right? James chapter 3. Um, wonderful. There we go. Everybody can see. What's up, guys? James chapter 3. Are we recording, Frank? Are we all good? You're the man. All right. James chapter 3. And here's what mine says. Mine says the tongue is a fire. I don't know what y'all says at the top of James chapter 3. Do you guys have any different, you can, you can tell me, any different titles for James chapter 3? What y'all got? Taming the, Taming the tongue, Matthew. Do what now? Dangerous, dangerous of the tongue. Yeah, dangerous tongue. Yep, yep, yep. So here's what's going on. Let me kind of set the scene. In James 3, he begins by addressing, and this is one of those that just ties directly into what's going on with us. In James chapter 3, he begins the chapter by addressing the intense power and destructive use of words. Okay? In the beginning of James chapter 3, he begins by addressing the intense power and often destructive use of words. James knows what he's doing. All right? By talking about words, he is addressing something very important. And you know this because, and this is from students to college leaders to adults, um, your whole day can be made or ruined by what someone says to you. Think about that. Your whole day can be made or ruined by what someone says to you. Think about the best and the worst, and this is for everybody. Think about the best and the worst days of your life so far. The best days of your life and the worst days of your life. I can guarantee that every one of them has involved people talking Words either directly impacted that day that you're thinking about, or they were at least woven throughout that entire day. Words make up the very fabric of our lives. Think about that. Words make up the very fabric of our lives. Whether it be electronically, on our phones, or through social media, or person to person, writing things down school, out of school, words make up the very fabric of our lives. So James addresses this. In fact, in the Tower of Babel, in Genesis chapter 11, mankind gets too prideful. So they push back against God. And some of you may know how this ends. God punishes them, not by striking them all with lightning, not by wiping them out of existence, but by changing their languages. God goes after their words. Now, the point of Babel is not that languages are bad. In fact, that's not the point at all. That's one of the points of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when, they, when all the disciples are speaking different languages, the tongues of fire are above them. Some of the new kids are like, what? Um, but it happens, okay, in Acts chapter 2. And they're all speaking all these different languages. Languages have been redeemed. Every, that, one of the points of Pentecost is every language can be used to share the gospel. But one of the points of t- the Tower of Babel is that words have power. Matt Chandler says it like this, if you pay attention to history, all right, so think back, if you pay attention to history, the highest of highs in human history and the lowest, most depraved moments are marked by the same thing, words. How did Hitler get the Nazi party to set out and try to take over the world? Through words. How did Churchill hold his country together during the Second World War? Words. The average person, okay, this is just the average person, okay? This isn't some of you, and you'll know what I mean. The average person spends one-fifth of their life talking. The average person spends a fifth of their life talking. Here's one fact. In a single day, if all of our words that we said were put into print, okay, in a single day, 
your words would fill a 50-page book, a single day's worth of speaking. In a year's time, the average person's words would fill 132 books of 200 pages each. At the end of a year, the words that you speak, and I know some of you are like, bro, I got like an encyclopedia at the end of a couple of days, and I get that. This is just the average person. We are constantly talking, talking to ourselves, some of us more than others, right? We're talking to others. We are communicating creatures made by a God who communicates using words. And so we are constantly talking, constantly thinking, and sharing what we think. Speaking, now listen, speaking is the means that God has ordained to create peace in someone's heart. How many, you know, you, you talk to somebody and then you go away feeling better. To cause rage, to cause laughter, to cause pain, to devastate, to energize, even to save. God has ordained that words play the crucial part in all of those things, especially to save you. And I wonder if you've ever thought about that. James 2.18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. 1 Peter chapter 1, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, you have been born again through the living word of God. John 17.17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. We are so used to words. Words are such a big part of our lives. Words are such a big part of every culture because we are created in the image of God and He uses words to communicate with His people. One of the first ways the New Testament describes Jesus, help me out here, John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus is described, think about this and how important words are, Jesus is described as God's Word. The Father's communication with us is Jesus. Jesus is God's message, God's Word to us. When God decided how to talk to us, He sent His ultimate message in the form of Jesus. And when we see God's Word, it should then humble and affect our own words. And since one-fifth of your life is spent talking, we need to talk about that, as James does here. Look at verse 1. James chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my friends, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Awesome, encouraging thing for me to start with this morning. Here we go. James begins by discouraging people from becoming teachers. Not teachers the way my wife is a teacher at Redbud Middle School, but teachers of the Bible. And here's why. Teaching requires a lot of talking, and words are important to God. We have to remember, be it a pastor or a small group leader, or a Sunday school teacher, or even a parent trying to teach their child, or, or, or an older sibling trying to explain things. Teaching the Bible is a big deal. And in verse 1 he says, We will incur a greater judgment when we teach. Here's why. Here's what this means. We're in James chapter 3. A big chunk of the rest of this book is about church unity. Being peaceful, the dangers of jealousy, stop talking bad about each other. 
This isn't just American church problem. This happened thousands of years ago with the churches that James spoke to. And these issues may be because some people in that church were just becoming teachers without the knowledge, without the proper morals to really be teachers of the Bible. And that bad teaching was leading to Break uh, a broken unity, which is where the rest of the book addresses all this brokenness. And look at where James starts with teachers and their words. Look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. We all stumble in many ways. Now, tie that to verse 1. You shouldn't, not everybody should be teachers. They'll be held to a stricter judgment because we all struggle in different ways. Connect all this. He's saying we all have sinful weaknesses and leanings. Okay? And, and you as a teacher, you have to use your words. And sometimes and we're all sinful. And you have to use your words a lot. And sometimes it will be hard to hold back on some of those words. Especially as a teacher or someone in authority, even if you have a small group, where sometimes you have to deal with difficult students or difficult people, and you don't always feel like using self-control with your words. Your words are so easy to slip out. Sometimes you want to strike back at someone with words. Well, if those who are listening to you, small group leaders and older students, those who are listening to you, those who are following your example, if they see you do this, They'll think it's okay for them to do it too. They watch how you use your words. As teachers, you know, a stricter judgment. As teachers, we have been given access to truths that others may not be able to understand on their own. It's part of our job, it's part of my job as a teacher, is to work that truth, understand it myself, and apply it to you. So there will be a stricter judgment in that we are more accountable because we have more access to what the Word of God is saying. We teach it to other people. Luke 12, 48, Jesus says, To whom much is given, much is required. But it can also mean like this in verse 2. We all have sinful faults. And as a teacher, those faults get put under a magnifying glass. As an older sibling, right? Those faults can get put under a magnifying glass. I remember, so it's me, Delano, Russell. When I did something bad, it was, Ryan, how could you do that? When Russell did something bad, it was, Russell, how could you and Ryan do that? And I don't even have to be, I wasn't even in the house at the time, right? But somehow, I still get put into it. When you're in a place of authority, when you're in a place of responsibility, your flaws are put under a microscope for everyone following you to see a stricter, judgment. Be it a pastor, a collide leader, whatever it is, we must constantly run to Jesus, not just for forgiveness where we fail as teachers, but for wisdom and maturity so that we can grow as teachers and leaders. We don't leave it at, well, I'm just not great at it. Well, I just don't know my Bible that well. I guess I'll leave it there. No, we ask the Lord for help. We must all remember, and we're not going to turn there, but I want you to dwell on it. 2 Timothy 2.7. If you're a note taker, you may want to write this down. This is huge. 2 Timothy 2.7. Listen to what it says. Think on these things, for the Lord will give you understanding. Two parts. Think on these things, 
for the Lord will give you understanding. Learning the Bible is not magic. You can't leave it closed and meditate and expect it to osmosis its way into your mind, right? Look at what it says, 2 Timothy 2.7. Think on these things. Wrestle, dig, pull. But as you find treasures while you're digging, those are from God. Think on these things, for the Lord will give you understanding. One of the, all right, how does this apply to me, Ryan? Well, several ways. One, pray for your pastors. Pray for your Sunday school teachers. Pray for these leaders who take time away from their families to invest in this family, but also who, have, who will incur a stricter judgment, especially because of not only the truth that has been given to them to give to, uh, to you, and it's also available. I don't, wanna, I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, if I'm not a teacher, I guess I don't get equal access to the Bible. That's not true. But God has gifted certain people with the ability to open and share that some people don't have as readily available. So be praying for your pastors and your leaders and your Sunday school teachers and, those, and your parents as they try to walk you through the Word, which I hope that they do in some degree, because they will incur a stricter judgment, but also because... That stricter judgment means their flaws are on display for everyone to see, for those following them to see. It's a high calling to teach the Bible, and it's not lost on James. Look at the second part of verse 2. The second part of verse 2. We've officially made it through one and a half verses. Um, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. If anyone controls his tongue... He is perfect. This doesn't mean that if you speak perfectly, you are now perfect. James is using this example of small to big. If you can control your mouth, which is so hard to do sometimes, right? I'm thinking like the last day of beach camp, right? Everybody's toast. Everybody's ready to go home, right? I'm thinking like the day before school starts or in the middle of a tough assignment or whatever. If you can control your mouth, which can be so hard to do, not only because of how tough the world is, but how sinful we are. You don't want to control your mouth. It feels good to get, there's that dopamine hit, to to say the last word. If you can control your mouth, those little easy to say but so hurtful words, then you'll surely be able to control the less difficult areas of your life. That's what James means here. If you can control your mouth, You can control the less difficult areas of your life as well. Now notice, James says to control it. The one who speaks well. Period. He doesn't stumble in what he says. Period. He doesn't say the one who can control what he says in public. We talked about anger last year, and I used this example of if you stay cool in public, but then when you get home, you just unload, you don't have control of your anger. You just care a lot about what people think of you. You don't want to embarrass yourself in public, which is a good place to start, but it's not a good place to stay. That's not control of your anger. And in the same way, you may be able to hold your tongue in public towards that person or people or situation, But then when you get in your car, or when you get in your mom's car, there you go, trying to get everybody, you just blast off, right? 
That's not controlling your tongue. Bridling your words doesn't mean public or private. It means period. Controlling it, period. Now, with all that anger or with all, where's all that anger? Where's all that speaking supposed to go? I'm angry or I'm frustrated or I just want to get back at that person. I, I've got all, it's all pent up. It's got to go somewhere. So where's it supposed to go? We're built to communicate. We're built to voice in the image of God. We're built to communicate our grief and our joy. So where does it all go? Two things on where this, where is it all supposed to go? How do we handle our words the right way? Number one, don't be a doormat, okay? Don't be a doormat. Someone that just gets walked over all the time. We talked about anger a couple weeks ago in 1 James, or 1 James, in James 1, 19, right? It says, be slow to anger. It doesn't say don't get angry. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say don't get angry. Jesus got angry. Tables in the temple, right? Exodus 4, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Deuteronomy 29, the Lord's anger burned against the land. This is not saying, so when I say control your words, don't lash out at people. I'm not saying you're supposed to let people steamroll, just roll all over you. I'm not saying that. But we do that sometimes. We just let people roll all over us. And we think that that makes us holier. We think that's worshiping God. Our favorite commandment, predominantly in the South, but everywhere, our favorite commandment is the 11th commandment. Do you know the 11th commandment? It's be nice and ignore the other 10. That's the 11th commandment. Be nice and ignore the other 10. Don't use the other 10 if it may, might make you look mean. Be nice and ignore the other ten. That's not in the Bible, you guys. Soft Christianity is not Christianity. Yeah, there you go, Frank. Paul says, speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4, right? Speak the truth. Two parts, remember. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth. Speak what is true. If someone owes you a hundred dollars, it's not unchristian to say, hey, I love you, comma, you owe me $100. That's not unloving. You're saying what's true. In fact, now listen, let's just use that example. They owe you $100. In fact, you're being a poor steward of your money if you don't pursue them. See what I'm saying? Now it really is back on you. We have to be sure we speak the truth in love. Paul, this is huge, and this is so good. Paul, Romans 12, 18. Listen to what he says. Romans 12, 18. Right there. Romans 12, 18. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. We go over this with our youth leadership team every year because be, part of being a leader, you get caught in this trap of trying to please everybody and you can't do it. He doesn't say live at peace with everyone. He doesn't say that. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. A lot of people, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, a lot of people try to do, and I'm, trying, I'm not trying to bash her, heaven forbid, but a lot of people try to Mother Teresa it. Does that make sense? And it's this idea of when someone's mad at you, it's like, oh man, like the world is over when they're mad at you. You're like crawling on your stomach quoting Bible verses like, Oceans is playing in your car every day. Like you feel all of this because they're, they're mad at you. 
please, please don't be mad at me. Don't be mad. Listen, listen. You're sold out to the 11th commandment. When someone is mad at you, and you've done everything you can to make this right. Now remember, as far as it depends on you. So we speak the truth. We do the best we can. But if they still won't, if they're just going to be mad, and you can't let that go, listen, and you can't let that go, it sounds holy. I just want to be right with them. It's bugging me if I can't be right. No, no, no. It's pride. It's pride. It's your own pride that is offended that they would be mad at you. How can you not let this go? Look at what I've done. How can you not let this go? Look at what I've done. Look what I've look at me. Look at it's pride. You can't let it go because your universe is now broken. Especially if you're going to be a teacher or a leader or someone with a job or a parent or whatever, you have to understand the humility of Romans 12:18. Listen, even God can't please everyone. Now, I know theologically, like, yes, He can. But, like, think about it. God makes it rain. And half the crew is like, oh, man, we sure needed this rain. They hear that a lot. Then the other half of the crew, like, they had plans. And now they're upset because literally God can't please everyone. And if God can't please everyone, you subtly commit blasphemy when you try to. If God can't please everyone. Unload that burden of, of sinful blasphemy for trying to please everyone. Don't be a doormat with your words. Speak truth in love, in a controlled, factual manner. Christians have to develop what I would call a divine backbone. A divine backbone. It doesn't mean that you're mean or that you're a jerk. Okay? It doesn't mean that. You are slow to anger. You can take it. You speak truth. And one of the quickest ways to not be slow to anger, so the bad thing, one of the quickest ways to not be slow to anger, one of the quickest ways to damage your witness to others and undo someone else's work is to get out that word, that one-liner, to really make them pay, to hit mom or dad where it hurts with an angry word. I remember growing up times where I would make my mom cry by just, or my sister by just hitting them with that, that word that hurts because I'm so mad I hit them with that word that hurts their feelings. This is also huge well, let me back up. Words are so, this is where James is talking about. If you can control your words, you can control the whole body. Because your words are not just words. They come from your heart. If you can control this, if you can bridle this, if you can rein it in, the rest of you will fall into place in a lot of ways. This is huge on social media. This is the greatest temptation. Facebook for parents, everything else for the kids, right? I love that parents just now figured out like, Facebook is awesome. Well, yeah, 2006, bro, come on. But, like, but they're all over it. They are, no disrespect. They're all over it. They are. But this is the thing. Social media is the greatest temptation to go against the Word of God, not just with what you believe, but in terms of being quick to anger, to read some ridiculous comment or post. Now, this happens to any of you guys, right? To read some ridiculous comment or post and be quick on the draw with one of your own. 
fixing the entire world thanks to your comment. Thank God you were here with your comment, and now the world is put right. This is what we believe. James chapter 1, verse 20. James chapter 1, verse 20. So 119 tells us to be slow to anger. James chapter 1, verse 20 says this, For the anger of man does not achieve the glory of God or the righteousness of God. For the anger of man, that quick, sinful anger, trying to get somebody back, trying to punch somebody online, or otherwise, does not glorify God in the least. Online, listen, and, and you've got to think about this, especially as you get older, okay? Online, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Snapchat, whatever, I could give a rip online where you stand politically or otherwise. You need to understand that one day you will stand before God to give an account for everything you have posted online. Regardless of whether you line up where you need to line up or not. You will be held accountable. I will be held accountable. Have we spoken the truth in love here? Have we been slow to anger here? And just because it makes you feel better to get that quick dopamine hit and post that thing online, listen, how can what you just did possibly bring glory to God when you've posted it in direct violation of His Word that says to bridle your tongue? To be slow to anger. Who cares if you're right on the issue if you've said it in a way that is malicious or hurtful or arrogant? You will not. That brings God no glory. Logging off... Okay, let me meet the kids here. Closing the app rather than posting is a way of righteously keeping your mouth closed. Righteously keeping your mouth shut in a good way. So if you can't post it online, if you can't blow up at home, where does all this go? Where can I say what I've got to say? Number two, take it to God. Turn to the book of Psalms, if you will. Psalm 86. Psalm 86. And while you're going, a super exciting lesson on the Psalms. There are several types of Psalms in the Bible. Okay, They're not all the same tone. Just like when we tell stories or when we say things, we have different tones and meanings with them. There are different Psalms in the Bible. One type is lament. L-A-M-E-N-T, to lament, lamentations, right? To lament means a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. A passionate, so you, you're, you're in your feels, right? A passionate expression of, of grief or sorrow. This is a lost art in the church. I bet you you're the only, and I'm not doing my own thing, whatever. I bet you you're probably the only church in the city that is learning about lament in the youth program right now. <laughs> lament, all right? Listen, this is a lost art in the church today. We are quick to anger. Even the church, this is the church. We're quick to anger, myself included. We're quick to correct. We're quick to complain. 
But in order to be, listen, in order to be salt and light in a, wor- in a world that is quick to speak, we must be quick to listen. In order to be salt and light in a world that is quick to speak, you and I have to be quick to listen. Quick to weep with those who weep. Quick to run to God with our sadness and lament, rather than running online or running somebody over at home with it. Again, social media hinders our ability to do this. Why would I take time with God when I can just bust this out right here on my phone? Let me propose an alternative. Psalm chapter 86. David, King David, David and Goliath, this guy. David, David and Bathsheba. I know you guys learned about that in, uh, in Sunday school. Nice. Man, I wish I could have been there to listen to fifth graders their first Sunday. David and Bathsheba. Hats off to Chris Fossatelli. Bring in the word. He brought the word. Um, Psalm 86, David's in a lot of pain. He's angry, he's sad, he's frustrated, but he takes all these things to God. Look at verse 1. Incline your ear, O Lord, please, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. So David's in pain, and he's praying. He needs help now. I am afflicted. He needs help now. So this is an immediate need, and look where he immediately goes in the moment. God. Verse 3, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. All day long. I wonder if this has happened to any of you. There is no relief for David's sadness here. All day long. And instead of taking that bad day or that bad season and crushing other people with it, he first consistently goes to God with it. Verse 7, in the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. He's saying, when things get bad, I'll reach out to you, Lord. I'll take my anger to you. Take your difficulty to wise people in your life, for sure. But first and foremost, close the door or get in your car and take it to God. In the day of trouble. So when things go bad, I will call upon you. Not call my parents. Can you believe what this, what this guy did? Can you believe how this or post on In the day of my trouble, I will go to you first. Listen, you don't have to turn there. You may want to write it down though. Psalm 126.5 is something you've heard your whole life. And you know it, you just don't know that you know it. You know? Psalm 126.5. Those who sow with tears shall reap with joy. If you sow with tears. So to sow here, zarah in Hebrew means to scatter the seeds, to plant the seeds. So those who sow their tears, those who take their tears and do something with them, who go to God and plant them with God, shall reap Joy. David's doing that. He's taking his tears, he's taking his anger, he's taking his anxiety first to the Lord. Verse 14. O Lord, arrogant men have risen up against me, and a band of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set you before them. So verse 14, he's surrounded by enemies. People talking bad about him. People who don't like him. That coworker, that other student at school who just won't get it. He's surrounded by these people. And who is David telling about this frustration? Who's he telling? God. 
He's bringing his work problem, his school problem, his family problem, first and foremost, up to God. Verse 15, two more and we're done. Verse 15, but you, O Lord, so he's talking about God. You, O Lord, are God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger. We should be slow to anger, not because we're trying to punish ourselves, not because it's what good kids do. If that's your goal, you will, you will either become a shell, an accomplished shell, or you'll completely crash. We are slow to anger. David is slow to anger. James tells us to be slow to anger and choose our words carefully because God is slow to anger. Because God chooses His words carefully. David is slow to anger because he's quick to pray and quick to lament. The only way to be slow to anger is to be quick to God. The only way to be slow to anger is to be quick to God. Because that anger has got to go somewhere now. It's like hot potato. It is. When you get it, you've got to get rid of it. When, that, when, that, when, it, when it builds up, and you know, it's got to go somewhere. If it will go to God first, now you're running out. Now your level's going down. Now you're calming down. It's got to go to God first. I have been introduced recently to what is called a finsta. Um, finstas, for those of you who don't know, are fake Instagram finsta. How creative is that? Uh, language is dead. Uh, finsta is a fake Instagram. From what I understand, it's, it's for everybody. I've seen mostly women use it, girls. And the way it works is when something bad happens, from my experience, when something bad happens, like, and the girl is, like, in the moment crying. She just takes pictures of herself and, like, posts it online. And that's a finsta. That's what the guys are like, what is happening? That's what, that's what they do. That's what happens. Listen, it's in the moment. Here we go. It's in the moment. I'm so angry at what the news said. Let me get on Facebook, not that your parents have ever done this, and just post about how angry I am about this. Let me just get this out into the world. That's not where we're supposed to go first. Look at where David goes first. He takes it to God. I used to wonder all the time, why hasn't God come back yet? Why hasn't He fixed all this? All the brokenness in the world. And I remember thinking one day, just thinking about it, and it hit me like a bell. He hasn't come back yet, because he's still saving people. Even today, he is still working. He is still rescuing, still running full speed into people's hearts and lives. And I'm so glad that in early 2013, he decided instead of coming back in wrath, he would come into my life in grace instead. So when I become angry or confused, and I wonder why hasn't he fixed this, I remember James chapter 1. Because He is always good. Because He is the Father of lights. Because He is still saving people. And sometimes when we want to let a word go, when we want to just give someone a piece of our mind on social media or in person, when we want to use our words, remember that Jesus is the Word of God. 
He is God's carefully chosen word of grace and forgiveness for us. It should have been a word of anger for us. You want to talk about fair? You want to talk about giving me a piece of my mind? That's what the word should have been for you and for me. But instead, God poured all that anger, all his hatred for your harsh words and mine, it was all poured out in melting hot wrath on Jesus. And when you realize that grace and forgiveness in Jesus, that's God's final word to us. It changes your heart. And it'll then change how you speak. That's James's ultimate point here. It's not a speech issue, it's a heart issue. He's not just trying to show his church how to speak well. He's trying to show his church Jesus. You can change your words, but until the gospel hits your soul, you'll be a whitewashed tomb. Great on the outside, dead on the inside. Only Jesus Christ can change your heart. Only realizing that Jesus Christ is the final word from God to you, and the word is not guilty. Because of what I've done, because of what Christ has done, His final word to you is not guilty. And when you realize that, it affects how you use words to others. Let me pray. Let me pray.